0: This is BFWB, Booze and Facts with Blacks, where we sip as we flip some topics on their heads to expose the Black perspective. Be warned, the more we sip, we may let slip some naughty words. This isn't for kids, neither is alcohol. So if you're not 21, we probably are the right podcast for you.
1: Are you ready? Come on in.
0: Do you like this drinking?
1: Yes, it's everything. Mm-hmm. if you, trust me in the Amaretto. I know, but you didn't have the rum component. I Listen. Had, uh, my lush, my lusciousness ass had to put the rum component in it. That was the kicker. I mean, you had the, the key ingredients, which were the amaretto and the cherries. But- correct.
0: And I am not drinking in my house. I have to go elsewhere after this. So yes, I took the rum out. And there goes the ice machine. We should probably turn that off.
1: Okay. <laughs> you know how important ice is in my life. Yes, ice is very important, especially
0: here in New York. If you can't fit it in your freezer, you got to buy it. It's got to happen.
1: I mean, I think my last freezer, no, I could not put um, an ice cube tray in it. But this one I could, but this is just, you know, you put filtered water in it. It's distilled and the ice cubes come out clear and it's a... Anyway, it's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing, but it's loud and it takes up more than half of all of the counter space I have in this apartment.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate it
1: definitely
0: <laughs> because this lounge lizard would not be as good.
1: Yes. So what's um, in
0: this again? This is amaretto.
1: So my full blown lounge lizard has I mean, a shot of amaretto. Uh huh. No, 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 no. Half shot. Half shot. Yes. ounces of amaretto, 1.5 ounces of rum, and um, a cherry, a maraschino cherry, and Coke on ice. And um, I put the Coke in the freezer because it was room temperature when I got it. It was slightly slushy. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, kind of just really set it off. It is like a frozen Coke, like a Slurpee with amaretto. It is... Sim- I think it's divine. I've and never had one of these before. Yeah,
0: she's never had Amaretto and Coke before. I was. I said, this has to happen.
1: But I was like, there's not that much alcohol in it. Like, what's the point? It's not always about the alcohol content
0: as I, as I think about what just came out of my mouth. <laughs>
1: Wait, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking it's about? It's really
0: not, though. Like, sometimes I just drink, just, I mean, it tastes good, damn it. I uh, I'll get to where I'm going just at a slower pace.
1: And that's okay. That's okay. Right now, it's not a race. Like I'm not in a race, but you know, since keto, not that I'm doing keto Mm -hmm. this week, but since keto, I (laughs) am always in a cost benefit analysis on sugar versus like whatever the other benefit is. If I have this cupcake, is it going to be good enough that I'm going to enjoy the fact that I've just had 70 carbs? If I have this shot of amaretto, is it good? And I'm going to have full blown Coca Cola. Is uh-huh. it going to be good enough? Well, it's good enough if I put rum in it too. Yes. But not- <laughs> All of that <laughs> but went not through th- your hand. <laughs> All of that <laughs> we went through my hand. As you're telling me, amaretto and Coke, and I'm standing there <laughs> with the jigger in one hand, pour, about to pour the amaretto, and I'm like, hmm. Something about this is not right. <laughs> What's the alcohol content in this Amaretto? 28%. Mm, how much is in rum? Mm, what happens if I put them together? If it's nasty, that's okay. It's not going to be nasty. It wasn't nasty. It's one of the best things I've ever yeah, had. Delicious. It's amazing. Have one of these lounge lizards. I mean, I will when I'm not driving. Wait, where are you <laughs> driving after this?
0: To Brooklyn.
1: To go home?
0: Yes, to go home.
1: By yourself? Yes, by myself. Oh, okay. Girl, <laughs> trying to put me out here in the streets. I'm not, I'm not trying to put you like your business out here in the streets, but you know, I was curious. None of my business. I'm just going to sit.
0: mean, that's fine. I mean, after our last po- well, one of our last podcasts, I, everyone's pretty much <laughs> know
1: how I get down. So. <laughs> It only very- takes you 20 minutes
0: to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> 15 on a good day. Uh, <laughs> speaking of good days. Yes. Yeah. my topic today? Is that of mental health? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I chose this is because I've had my ups and downs through COVID and the whole quarantine situation. Yeah. And even though things have been like opening back up in New York and people are like now being able to at least converse or go out to eat in like outdoor situations. It's still pretty fucking hard to deal with emotional stress and depression and having an outlet. Mm -hmm. Now that the world has completely changed for an amount of time that we haven't really figured out yet so there's no end in sight and that's another level of stress that we have so mental health especially in the black community has been so taboo especially in the south where i'm from that i feel like we need to talk about why that is and what our experiences have been since covid has happened okay so, going back to me growing up in the South, um obviously, I'm homosexual, and I figured that out very early in life. I didn't really have the struggle that a lot of people have with their sexuality. Like, I just, I knew, and that was fine with me. And I think because of TV and, like, literature, that that is what made me know that I was fine. Like, I was normal, quote, unquote. Like there was nothing wrong with me. However, I also was very aware of the mentality of people that were around me. So I still had to go through every day people saying nasty things about homosexuals. People basically telling me that, you know, if you're gay, you're going to go to hell. Um, And that's a lot for a preteen teenager, and even young adult to deal with. And in the Black community, in the South, either Baptist, AME, or whatever denomination you are, their way of fixing or helping you, I'm doing air quotes, helping you get through certain life situations like that is going to Bible study or going to church regularly and praying. I'm just like, you cannot pray the stress away. You have to go and get help. Otherwise you sit on top of that for so long and it just builds up and then another problem occurs. So I didn't figure this out until college. Like the first time I ever had a therapist talk to me and sit me down like actually trying to figure out what was going on in my life was in college. And that's because I had access to it. I didn't even know know if I had access to it until that point.
1: And how did you end up going to a therapist? Did someone suggest it? Did you say, did you see, oh, like in these college materials that this is a resource that I have, let me try this out? Like how? So in those
0: days, um, I was still being triggered I wasn't used network yet. But at that particular point, something had happened regarding a boy at college. And I just I was really down. And everybody knows, like, you already have enough stress in college. Like suicide is like the number one cause of like people of kids dying in college. And I needed I knew I needed assistance outside of me. I couldn't talk to my parents about it. Couldn't talk to—I mean, even if I talked to friends about it, they still weren't going to be able to help me. I was like, "Who's going to help me?" And one day, I went to a clinic because something else was wrong with me, and I saw a pamphlet. Mm -hmm. I saw a pamphlet about um, therapy and consultations, and I picked it up. I said, okay, what's going on with this? I mean, I've seen like the therapy sessions on TV shows and that but I never knew like how you got to that point. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, how do I go about this? And it was very easy to the credit of my college. It was very easy to get that and to go there, no charge. Mm -hmm. It was just provided to us and whatever. So, yeah, that's how I got there. there. Okay. And I just, I don't know if I'm the outlier of like if I had reached that earlier, or I don't know if in your experience, did you know kids in the Black community who had the same issue who actually got therapy and not just what our culture says like we need to do and go turn to our religion?
1: Well, I mean, I did not grow up in the south. We moved to the south when I was in high school. Lucky you! Uh, I don't know if I felt lucky at 16 in Kentucky, but oh, yeah, no, okay. definitely, definitely you didn't feel it. I
0: you didn't, didn't grow up lucky. in it.
1: Um, but so I grew up here in the Northeast. Um, we had counselors when I was in high school, and mm-hmm. certainly and before that in middle school. And I certainly saw them. Um, and a lot of my friends and classmates, they were in therapy. Um, people got therapy after divorce. People got therapy because they got bad grades. I mean, people were in therapy. grown ups had strengths. Like it I grew up in the New York metropolitan area. And so the culture from the '60s and the '70s surrounding seeing going to therapists and seeing a shrink and seeing a psychiatrist, it wasn't um, at kind of everyone did it,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, including my black friend. And so, not that there wasn't still like, oh, you need to pray, and certainly my friends who thought that they might be gay kind of had a different hard because I've always been in the performing arts. So right. people are just open and creative and whatever. But, um, you know, when, we, when I got to Kentucky, I mean, I don't know. I was so isolated from everybody because I was so different from everyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't really know. Like, they were like, who is this weird girl? Whatever. But when I got to college you know, again, and I went to an HBCU, we Uh did have access to therapy and a lot of my classmates and friends saw therapists and had, um, you know, had support on campus. Some of them saw outside providers and went elsewhere away from campus to get um, that kind of support and to get help in, in that area. And I have a really dear friend who has battled... Like depression and anxiety and mental health things. But she's also from the tri-state area mm-hmm. from, you know, since she was in school. And so it's not that mental health challenges weren't taboo. They still were. It was just, it wasn't the only voice that I was hearing. Even at a black college, there were people who were like, oh yes, we need to pray. We also need to go see the Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess so. But I also know that, you know, there are a lot of people who don't have that kind of liberal experience for whom that is not the case. And the families of people, like people didn't have to tell their parents that they were going to see a therapist if they were going to see one on campus. Uh And I'm sure that a lot of their parents Would have felt very, very differently about it. But like, if you've got a roommate from California who grew up, whose parents, you know, worked in the film industry, and she sees her roommate struggling, she's not going to be like, "Oh, go pray." She's going to be like, "Get some help. There's a a There's (laughs) a professional who can help you work through that." If they, you know, and maybe it's chemical. Like there are a whole host of supports oh and tools yeah. that you can use to get through this. You do not have to suffer in silence and you also don't have to tell your parents.
0: And that's the big thing. Suffering in silence is such a detrimental thing to one's psyche, mm-hmm. even if you're not young, even if you're just starting to go through things right now, holding everything inside and not knowing how to get help outside of what you've been told as a child. Is really hard to surpass, at least for me, it was. Even though I saw that pamphlet that day, even though I was in college and I didn't have to answer to my mother and father, just doing something that I knew was out of the norm for my community, my culture, where I came from, was stressful in itself. Mm-hmm. But once I figured out that it was, typical and that we needed that, it, it became easier. It felt like, now that I've started this ball rolling, even if I don't need it at a certain point, I at least know how to deal with it. Better.
1: Yeah.
0: So, I mean, and that's good to hear that, you know, HBCUs had that option. I didn't really know that.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think most colleges probably have it. Like, it's just part of the health services. I mean, we had it at, obviously we had it at Columbia too. Like most, I feel like most institutions have that kind of health because, you know, there are a lot of people come with a lot of baggage <laughs> when they come to school. Yeah, And, you know, part of the game, at least when I was going through school, it was the race was, or the obstacle was to actually finish school. Mm -hmm. And it mattered so much less what you actually studied and what you did, but that you successfully completed it. And all of the social things, all of the academic obstacles, all of those things that you were able to get through an institution, through a system of things and complete that, that was the goal. Like that said something that you could get through four years or eight semesters or whatever it was of coursework to get this degree, to get the piece of paper said something about how hard you were willing to work, what your like internal fortitude was. It said a lot about how you could work within systems. It said a lot about your character, which is why it used to be so important just to have it. Um, not really bad. I mean, sometimes, like if you're going to be an engineer, like obviously, (laughs) you need to have studied something. But just like being able to get through all of the roadblocks that are in getting a bachelor's degree of some kind, right, said a lot about who you were and how hard you were willing to work and to stick to it. And, you know, there are a lot of things baked into that, how much more resources some people have than Uh others, right? But most schools, I feel like, are set up to give people the resources that they need to you know, kind of get through the process.
0: Well, see, I don't feel like a lot of schools in the South, at the time I was going to college, I don't feel like in the South, every school had that option. With that, I mean, I wasn't really shocked that we had counseling because I didn't really know about it. Mm -hmm. But after finding out about it, I was like, how many people do this? Like, is this common? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, am I weird for doing this? Early on, I was thinking all these things. So I'm like, I'm going to ask you, when did you first know that therapy was an option? I don't
1: know. I'm from
0: the... I mean, yeah, I know you're from this area. So I just want to compare and contrast. Like, when did you find out?
1: I mean, I think people were going to see therapists when I was in first grade. Like, okay. I was really, really, really young when people were getting help for things.
0: But like, why is there that difference?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's like you said before, I think it's cultural. Like, it it, it is baked in this culture that you in the Northeast here, particularly in the New York metropolitan area, that you can farm out every single part of your personal life. You can farm out the things in your household, the rearing of, yeah, everybody really can, but the rearing of your mm, kids, yeah. the cleaning of your house. You can farm out your entertainment. You can farm out your education. You can supplement your education. You can mm-hmm. farm out your work. You can, people trade working full-time for having their kids taken care of full-time. And it's a one-to-one. I might pay my entire salary as a female spouse to this person who's rearing my kids. You can, you can farm out your hair care. You can farm out, you can farm out every single thing. You can farm out your physical fitness. You can farm out your physical health. You can also get assistance and farm out your, That's not really farming it out, but like your mental health. Yeah, And so you can get assistance and support as long as you have the resources, whether that's through insurance or otherwise. Um, You can get assistance for every single little piece and part of your life. And it is in your face. There are so many professions and professionals that are here. Um, And I think that it's like a holdover from the 60s and the 70s, you know, the whole entire shrink culture. Okay. And people brought that along with them. The Sitting on the therapist's couch, the fact that everyone does it. And also, I'm like the first major generation of divorce. Okay. And so there were a lot of people and a lot of concern about what do we do about these kids who aren't growing up in two parent households. And in some ways, you know, of course, there are people who grew up in very violent and toxic households yep. because people chose to stay together when they really shouldn't have multitude problems. Right? Exactly. That's another two podcasts. <laughs> but you know, people were very, very concerned. Right? Like our, my generation, we were latchkey kids. And kind of the first generation of people, maybe the second generation of people who um, were kids who who had both parents who were working outside the home. We were coming home from school by ourselves, <laughs> making our own dinner, yeah, um, entertaining ourselves, and you know, and I, maybe I was like five or ten years in five or ten years into that, but mm-hmm. but really, like people were really concerned, and I still had some classmates who had stay at home moms. And they, they believed that that was the right thing to do for their families. So people were concerned about that, that the kids were running amok, that the kids were not well-behaved. And muck, then we muck, had, I know exactly. And then we had <laughs> divorce on top of that and, it, and kind of widespread divorce, like half of my classmates' parents, you know, were no longer together. And um, a lot of people were very upset about that, were messed up about that. I'm again in the Northeast, so a lot of people were Catholic here. Upset about what? About divorce. And that being oh, like okay. a, being like a major sin, uh, and something to be oh, yeah, true. True. Right. Tru- and, and like very re- much closer to Vatican too, which was like sometime in the late 60s. So uh, you know, within a decade of when we were born. Um, and so just the shame and the humiliation around that um, and the being the shame around having not your pet, not having your parents together about being in a single family, you know, single parent household for some people, mm-hmm. all of that. And the way that people, you know, like, oh gosh, well, um, Timmy burned down the bathroom. Well, he His parents are getting a divorce. Timmy burned down the bathroom. (laughs) I'm saying. And so, you know, those kids were in therapy. So people... (laughs) Well, I would hope so. (laughs) But no, but people, and some people just like preemptively, you know, and I went to, you know, kind of competitive schools academically because my mom could not deal with the craziness that is the Northeastern public school system. She just didn't have... Just didn't have it in her. So, um, but, but those people, like when those kids' grades started slipping, like those parents were high achievers and they expected their kids to be as well. So whatever tools they needed, tools for their, you know, ADD at the time, wasn't even ADHD yet, their ADD at the time, tools for their emotional stability, tools because their parents got like all the tools, you need a tutor? Do you need a therapist? Do you need, you need a therapist and you need to go to CCD. You need a therapist and you need to go to Sunday school and you need to be in soccer. Like it was just on the list of things and resources that the people here who wanted to give their kids the world Mm -hmm. and a leg up gave to their kids. It was just one of the things you give to your kids.
0: That's so interesting to hear. Like growing up in a metropolitan area would have been Lovely and probably stressful at the same time, but stressful. <laughs> but like, also growing up in a rural kind of like mm-hmm. small town southern community, it's like, unless people are talking about it, you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And even though I, you know, it was yes. the internet age when I started up, like, I mean, not when I was, little, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you can kind of fish for things yourself, still you don't you don't really know what's available to you down there.
1: And how do you pay for it?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: You know what I'm saying? Like now, or not now, but like, even when I was a kid, people talked about it so much that it was so easy to say, oh, well, who's your tutor? Who's your therapist? Right. Wow. You go, you're in family therapy, like how you, everybody's going to family therapy, your kids just go into family therapy. How do you pay for like, oh, the insurance company. And right, it's, it was such a topic of conversation that it was kind of easy to figure your way through it. But if everybody's not talking about it, even if you know, it's a thing and it's a thing that you want to pursue, how do you figure out how you pay for it?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's even a problem right now. No, 100%. It really uh, is. And that has not changed whatsoever. And that's a big problem with our um, country. Not just for Black people, for everybody. For everybody. So I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, I hear you on that. But also another question I have for you is understanding the difference between the metropolitan area and, you know, small town, Mm -hmm. southern, whatever, Bible Belt do you feel like what you experienced was typical for a black person or was that different given the area that you lived in?
1: I think that's a great question and I don't really know the answer to it. I, there are so many things that are so segregated here in the Northeast and still are. Mm -hmm. And people try to pretend that they're not and try to, like claim moral superiority over the people who live below the Mason and Dixon line. And they're really not entitled to it, but that's also another podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So all that to say, situations weren't as diverse as they should have been. But for the most part, even like, especially if I take myself out of like the school classroom situation, I was never really the only one. There weren't a ton but there were more than one. And so, you know, they were kind of living with the same expectations and cultural, like whatever's that I was. So their friends also were all going to therapy and, Uh and that kind of thing. So, so yes, there's that, but I also can recognize that yes, we were a group and we weren't the only ones that there are a lot of other people for whom their reality was very, very different. And I honestly can't speak to that. Like, I I, I don't know what they were doing. I do know, though, that there are a lot of resources if you will avail yourself to them here in the Northeast, particularly in New York City. Oh, yeah. Especially you know that now. there are, yeah, right, there are a lot of resources for mental health, for support, for even getting a meal, for learning musical instruments, for getting into dance, for figuring out fashion. There are a lot of, Um, resources that people have in the Northeast because there are people who have money who think that they're important and they make them available to other people. So, I mean, I I don't know as the short answer or the long answer is that I wasn't the only Black person I knew who Mm -hmm. was surrounded by those people.
0: No, that's totally fair. I totally understand that answer. I mean, I just didn't know if anybody came along like later in your life that like explained or told you anything about that.
1: I mean, yeah, I still know that it's, because I've certainly encountered other people who were like, you know, pray it away. Like, well, then you need to pray. There's no, you know. I don't know why you're on those drugs. You just mm-hmm. need Jesus. I don't know why you need to go talk to this white person. You right. just need Jesus. You need to, we're going to pray. We're uh-huh. going to we're gonna go to church. You need to talk to the pastor. You need to talk to the priest. Like, I do know people that are also like that. I mean, I don't tend to spend well, a lot of time with them no. <laughs> for other reasons. <laughs> I
0: mean, yes. <laughs> um, A so few things you said, talking to the pastor and all this stuff. Like, I always grew up in two churches, really. And one church was always going through different pastors, mm-hmm. while another church had a pastor that had been there for decades. So one was Baptist, one was Amy. Two parts of my family, one other situation. Um, with that, when someone is telling you that there's this being in your Religious community that you should go and talk to and like bear your soul and like ask for religious guidance or ask for life guidance. And that person is also so flawed Mm -hmm. that they have to kick out of the church, that they have to kick out of his house, that Mm -hmm. they have to replace repeatedly. How does it make sense? For someone to tell their child that you need to go to this building to this place and talk to this person and get guidance from him even though we don't trust him with our religion and our guidance religiously that i just i still to this day can't understand that and i think i told you i read the um jennifer lewis book and it's amazing and she talks about being bipolar and growing up and, you know, all the things she had to battle and then finally getting help. And even though I had already been through everything at that point, just knowing that it was typical for other people and not just me and not just in the area that I was in. One, I was, I was thankful for knowing that I wasn't um, an outlier. Uh-huh. But also,
1: can I just say that that is literally the best cherry I've ever had in my I life. Told you. entire life? I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. That was so good. Yeah,
0: and they're not even liquor infused. It was like Delicious. candy.
1: Jesus.
0: No, t- totally fine. I expected that at some point. Um, But just. Finding out that that was normal in the past, because that was she was talk, she was going through that in seventies 80s. yeah, and that it was still prevalent now yeah. in my age it made me sad because we hadn't come far long enough that we could put aside whatever stigma, whatever thoughts we had about mental health to take care of our youth like that made me really sad. But thankfully nowadays, like there's so much access, especially because Taraji P. Henson just started a foundation. It's the Boris Larson Henson Foundation. The fact that she came out with that, I believe two years ago, and she's been very public with that. And she's got a lot of support with that is amazing. Mm -hmm. I think for the black youth, the gay youth, the brown youth, whoever is growing up now, who is going through the same things that we, or that I went through and not knowing what options they have. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I also, this is dark maybe, but I also think that there's an earned mistrust amongst the black community um, with health providers in general and mental health providers. And, you know, the process of finding a therapist, right? You don't necessarily just sign up for one and then you have a, you know, the perfect relationship, the perfect supportive relationship from here on out with said therapist, right? It's kind of like a thing. People, therapists break up with you. Sometimes you break up with a therapist. Sometimes you go and you go this shit, This is not the right bitch, and I gotta move on. Sometimes
0: you have enough money for that particular therapist, and you gotta go to someone (laughs) else. You gotta go to somebody else,
1: you gotta, you can afford, right? There's, it's so, it can be so complicated. But, and so I think that a lot of people give up on the first try, the first person, and they're Mm -hmm. like, oh no, this is not it, this is not for me. But also, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of things that people want to talk about and that they need help with, particularly people who are Black and black and brown people for whom there's nobody who can support in in the way especially depending on where you are who can't who can't necessarily support in the way that you need mm-hmm. you know if you are somebody who is going through something because you're a member of a marginalized community you have to have somebody who understands who's trained who has a vocabulary to be able to talk with you through those issues Yes, Um, And not everybody is equipped to do that. So it can be very hard if you're like, I'm here and I think I'm going crazy because of this work situation. And I'm saying these things and I'm like, I'm going home and I'm sad and I feel my anxiety going up and I don't know how to do I stay in this job. I need this money. Like, how do I sort, how do I untangle this ball of yarn? And to go to somebody who is just like, well, is that all in your head? Or maybe that's not really what they meant. And like, what, so, I mean, I just, I think that in addition to the, the stigma around like, just there's so many things like about being developmentally delayed, about um, mental health, about all, all these things that people just tend to ignore and deny in the black community. There are also, there's also a mistrust of the resources. Like if you live here, you live in Chicago or I don't know, LA, probably Atlanta, you're going to have people who likely look like you who can also help you. Or if they don't look like you, they've probably studied with somebody who looks like you. They will have the tools that you need to get help. But there are a lot of people who don't live in situations like that. How am I going to be in rural Alabama as a black person and need help Mm -hmm. and know that the healthcare provider that I'm going to isn't a racist, even if they are not a racist, that they understand if I am, you know, somebody who is a lesbian and I go that they're not anti-gay, like how you and it's so hard to know it's to be able to trust and that I'm going to sit there and I'm going to open up to this person and hope that they can help me and and not judge me on the first day. Right. Go around. Like that's also a lot. That has also got to be an impediment to people like, because you just can't trust. I mean, I, I know that about my body. Like I I can't trust (laughs) I'm not letting you touch me. Uh, Nope. I'm not going to you to seek out help. You're just going to, I don't know what you're just going to tell me, but I certainly don't trust you.
0: All fair. All fair issues. But again, um, at least the first step of knowing that there is an option Mm -hmm. has been not taken care of, but it's, it's less difficult than it used to be
1: than it used to be, and I definitely agree. I think that there are more people who are speaking about it. There are definitely more black people who are being public Thank about God. it. Thank because God,
0: our issues are very different from, yeah, from
1: Timmy you know. who burned down the bathroom <laughs> <Stop>. um, <laughs> but, but
0: all shooters, I'm just saying,
1: right, I mean, but also there are a lot of horrific there are a lot of black people who have experienced trauma, yes. In the culture surrounding um, being a strong Black person, a strong Black man and a strong Black woman and the ability to be able to endure all kinds of personal, physical and emotional harm and violence and be able to still um, prosper despite those things. thats
0: Yeah, that's another problem I have. And I didn't realize until you said it, is like we are always taught and like built up to be strong and to take it, to take the mm-hmm. punchings, take whatever's thrown at us and just be monoliths and just take it. Mm-hmm. Why? Why the fuck do we keep taking all the beatings and uh, worry about our health and happiness last? Mm-hmm. Why is that always the fucking situation? Everybody else can go out and get help. Everybody else can be given excuses for. But us, no, we have to be strong. Mm
1: -hmm. That's our only option. Our only option. I, I mean, it's so complicated. The need for us to put aside our personal pain in order to avoid white guilt. The need for us to put aside our hurt and pain in order to continue making money so that we can take care of the people that we're responsible for.
0: Preparations, that would be nice.
1: Hello. I mean, and then also just like, I think that so many people, I mean, I think we've also accepted the narrative and it used to be a point of pride and it's certainly becoming less so. In recent years. Because we're tired. Because we're tired. But that the fact that we can endure. But you're going to do these horrible things to me, and I'm still going to achieve this thing, get this job, make this money. You can't keep you can't keep me down. We're
0: gonna work for less than like what you're making and doing even more work.
1: I mean, in the coronavirus, pandemic, quarantine times. I I personally have really face to face with that. Girl. With the ways in which that I have been asked to accept so much less and to be so much more grateful for the things that I've, <laughs> for I've had. And I know that there is that expectation of to whom much is given, much is expected. And, and and that's fine. I'm willing to carry that flag and that torch and that mantle. I'm not. But, <laughs> but also, you know, there's a thing in that when we are fighting for equality, the fact that there are so many people that we have, that people before us have been ex- willing to accept less just to be admitted into the room yes, means that people value us less. And so, I mean, the number of people who are like, oh my gosh, you have such a thick skin or you're so strong or like, I know this happened, but I know you could handle it. You know, They're not asking Becky to handle any of these things. And, you know, and some of these things, the proverbial Becky really couldn't handle. And, you know, we've been taught and given the tools and have been um, given role models for being strong and standing tall with your chin up and your shoulders back in the face of all of this adversity. It's kind of a part of our history. But at this point, it's also a part of our downfall. And I think, I don't know how we get out of it. I don't know how personally we get out of it, how we get out of those expectations. Uh I just know that it weighs on us. It weighs on me, but it weighs on all of us. And the expectations, you know, of these people, just like now and everybody's talking about like, well, what can we do to encourage equity and how, in what ways have I been complicit? And it's just the, part of it is just simply the expectations that we put on black bodies for the amount that they're going to endure That is so separate and far and away more than we expect of everybody else. Yeah. Like that they're just going to take it, that we are just going to take it because we have taken so much and stood tall in the face of that and kept on keeping on and went on to throw fabulous lives in your faces. Meanwhile, we're lagging in every other category, but it's like, that's not going to bring me down. I've seen so much worse. Just like thinking about the fact that we've seen so much worse. That just speaking about this pandemic times, when I compare my experience to that of my white counterparts, of my friends and my coworkers, the fact that there are terrible things that have happened to me and my family that they have that are only theoretical to them. And we sit next to each other and we go to happy hours together and we do all those things. Oh, happy hour. God, God, guys, I I can't wait to meet my dad. Girl, right? But I need a bar. I love bar culture. Anyway, just that. Right? Seemingly, we are so so the same, but I have, I have to carry so much more with me around from day to day. So I have endured so much more when I show up than they have. It's just, you know, the fact that my life is the statistic. Yeah. doesn't matter what I do, I can't escape being Black in America. That means that my family hasn't been impacted by the COVID crisis more than other people. It means that financially I've been imp- impacted by this COVID crisis more mm-hmm. than other people. It just means that, that the quarantine situation, the way that people look at me during the Black Lives unrest, Like that all of those things, the fact that I am still worried about how the police are going to interact with me if I'm outside on the street at the wrong place in the wrong time, that I'm just like going to work randomly because I'm lucky enough to get to go to work for a week or two, right? And the way that I'm going to be questioned at the door and people asking whether or not I belong in the bill, just like having to explain why I belong in a place and that was the way it was before too. I had to explain my presence every single place. So the fact that we are doing all of that work just to show up to do the same jobs, to make less money, yep. right? That's a mind fuck for everybody. It's crazy. It's insane. It is insane. And so the idea that F that nobody needs help, like we are just going to pray that away. No, everybody like needs, we need help.
0: Serious. And I just keep wondering when is going to be the linchpin? Like, what is going to be the thing that makes our community stand up and pull a Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer and say, "Enough is enough"? enough like, is enough. when? When is that going to happen? I feel like, as far as just the interactions with law enforcement, mm-hmm. this you know, past season with Black Lives Matter. I think that for that situation, that was our linchpin. We started rioting and then people couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it became too much for them, so then they forced us to stop with lockdowns, with everything. It's like nothing ever changes until we fuck shit up and say no, no more.
1: Yeah. And- I, I also think that the younger millennials and the Gen Zers are young enough and scrappy enough and have little enough to lose. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know, I got like, nothing to lose. Right. Girl. But I'm like a 35, 30, 35 year old. Like they have less to lose. Not a damn thing. Right. And so they're just like, I'm not, we're not doing this. Right? I'm not. I am not doing this. And so they can see. Yes, I, have I, have I, don't I don't have a house. I don't I have a spouse. What i I don't have a house. I don't have a spouse. All the things that I was doing I don't have anything to lose.
0: I would get after going to college. I have none, none of, of those that.
1: things. And so the the idea that we actually, I'm not doing this anymore. This is not okay. And I don't have anything to lose. So I'm going to be in the street actually, I am not coming back to that racist ass job until you've changed these things. I'm actually going to be out here with a picket sign. I'm actually going to be out here in this. I'm going to do all of those things because this is not the America that was promised to me. Well, this is not, I did all the things you told me to do. And I I can't even walk down the street and I find that unacceptable. And I'm gonna tell you to the your face. Whereas somebody who's like 50 is just gonna mumble and show up and do, <laughs> do exactly. what they're do what they're supposed to and they're no better off. But like a kid, a 23, like I, I have a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt, and Girl. you're telling me that I'm I'm not, you're you're gonna Rent use the BI. N-word. Like I'm nah. no, I'm not doing any of those things, and you're going to be uncomfortable. And that's the thing. I feel like we have been swallowing the discomfort for, for so long, right? Way longer so that other people don't have to feel uncomfortable because just our presence makes them uncomfortable. And there's only so much that you can ask a group of people to swallow that before there's a price to be paid.
0: Correct. Especially when that group of people still carries a stigma with not getting help for mental health. Yeah, So, I mean.
1: Right? There is some crazy people out there.
0: Oh, God, yes. I mean, with that, just in New York alone, like before the pandemic was a toss-up, like anything could happen. But now, in the days of COVID, even though people are still you know, air quote quarantined or, you know, supposed to be social distancing, it's still crazy in these streets. So, again, I am thankful Mm -hmm. that people, not just people, but celebrities who have a soapbox who have a Flash light show shown on them like yeah. Taraji P. Henson has started foundations like the Boris Larson Henson Foundation which you can text at no stigma to 707070 if you'd like information or like to make a donation to. Um, but yeah, I I hope more foundations like this pop up mm-hmm. because we need it. We definitely need it in our community specifically, but also across the board. But until that is widespread, I'm just going to continue drinking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know using our tools. Ah. This is a liquid tool, but I'm using yes, it. Yes, it's
0: not self-medication. It's just something we do. For fun, but no, it's not not for me. <laughs> I got. It. But yeah, we're gonna continue drinking and say goodbye. <laughs> ah.
1: Bye. Bye. Booze and facts with Blacks is produced and edited by Christian Allen. Cocktails prepared by Kim Shaw. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at BFWB Podcast. Please like, rate, and subscribe. We obviously love booze, so please drink responsibly. 21 and up and all that jazz. Thank you for listening. See you next week.